Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. For the last two weeks, we have been zeroing in on the wife's role in a marriage. We've seen that a wife is to be a helpmeet to her husband. And we've seen that a wife is to submit herself to her own husband as unto the Lord. And in so doing, there's to be reverence and obedience. We covered a lot of ground. And I can't even begin to recap it all. So go online and listen. And you can really digest it that way, as opposed to just throwing a couple of sentences at you on what's been said. Keep in mind as we go through this, that this is God's design. It is not man's design. As we see in the world today, this is not what the world would agree with. And so we have to go into this trusting this is God's word, that because God established the first marriage, he's the founder of the institution, he knows best how it ought to be uh, structured. Let's begin tonight, we'll read the same passages we did, verses we did last week, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I said last week we need to start with why a woman should submit herself unto her own husbands. We don't try to teach how to do that without understanding the why. Remember, wives, you have to willingly place yourself in subjection to your own husband. A woman can take care of herself just fine. Would you agree with that? They can get a job. They can buy a house. They can buy groceries. They can cook. They can uh, do all those things. Uh, There's nothing that says a woman can't stand on her own. We know that's possible, but God has designed it so that a wife will be under the headship of a husband. And you have to willingly, because you're able to do everything, you have to willingly place yourself under his authority and care. But the reason you are commanded by God to do so is because your husband is in an ordained position by God. That's how God has orchestrated. Remember that he doesn't earn respect, but he has to secure it. He's already in a position of respect. He needs to do what's right in order to secure that respect. But he's already in that position by virtue of how God has designed marriage. And I know many don't like to hear that. But look at verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
We covered this thought three weeks ago when we looked at 1 Corinthians 11, but we need to cover it here just briefly in this context. Uh, Notice the language that's used here. It says, the husband is the head, even as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24 says, the church is subject unto Christ. The Greek word for subject in verse 24 is the same for submit in verse 22. Even as the church is to be subject to Christ, so also, or in like manner, the wife is to be subject under her own husband. And the the end of verse 24 says a wife is to be subject to her own husband in everything. Now, you have to think about this in context, because someone's going to hope that everything here has a lesser meaning than everything. But it doesn't. It means everything. As we consider this point, we must understand Christ's role as the head of the church. And so all the verses that talk about Christ's role as the head of the church, we can find application back to husband and wife. We must understand that marriage is to picture Christ and the church. It's, it's, Paul says it's a great mystery, but that's what we're supposed to do. What happens if a local church decides not to place herself in subjection to Christ? There's chaos. There's going to be problems. A church can decide to rebel against Christ being their head. Likewise, a wife has to make the decision to willingly place herself in subjection to her husband. Church has to make that same decision as well. We have to, as a church body, willingly place ourselves under the headship of Christ. And when a church comes out from under that authority, the Bible here says, in everything. And when we come out from under that authority in one thing, we're heading for for problems. We see this manifested in all sorts of places in churches today where there's all this insanity that's taking place out there, all the compromise, all the false doctrines that have made their way into churches because someone decided Christ was not going to be the head of that church. It damages the cause of Christ. There will be a lack of holiness which leads to compromise and worldliness which enters the church. There's a departure from the Word of God, which is what leads to the false doctrines which enter the church. And in the process, there becomes a false representation of what the church is supposed to be to the lost world. And the lost may come into a church and not see what church is supposed to be according to God's plan. And it's confusion. And people will see some of that and they'll go, What's the difference? Where's the difference between you and what I do on Saturday night? And so when there's not a proper church, there's not a proper representation of Christ. And the same thing applies to marriages. It, when our marriages aren't designed as God would have them to be, and a wife decides to come out from under her husband's authority, it damages the marriage. Compromise enters the marriage because there's been a departure from what God's Word says. 
And what ends up happening is the false doctrine ends up being accepted into the home. And now the world sees a false representation of Christ in the church because the marriage is now flipped upside down. And so there's a false image that's presented when we don't follow God's blueprint because our marriages are to be an example of Christ in the church. And so we aren't to pick and choose as a church what areas that we're going to allow Christ to be the head over. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, in the context of Christ over His church, we read in verses 22 and 23, and it's speaking of God saying these, and God hath, I'm adding the word God here, but, and God hath put all things under His feet and gave Him, speaking of Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. So we see there, Christ is to be the head over all things in the church. And it makes sense for Him to be over all things because He's the head. Right? It makes sense. And, and the church is the body. And can the body boast itself against the head? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 12, it can't. When we read over there in 1 Corinthians, remember, that's where we read about within the body there's many members. Uh, there's a foot, an eye, and there's a, all these things. And, and, and the hand can't look at the foot and say, what need do I have of you? And the eye can't look at the, uh, the head and say, well, what need do I have of you? And, and so you can't usurp the head without having big problems. And, and so the principle is there for us. And... There can only be one head controlling the body. Speaking of the body of Christ, there can only be one head to control that. Now, the Holy, Holy Ghost here led Paul to say, that's how it's supposed to be with the husband and the wife. Amen. When a church decides they no longer want to be in subjection to Christ in any particular area, then there's a power struggle for authority. And we call a creature with two heads a monster. And Christ is not going to play that role. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will eventually fall. And so if a wife decides that she really doesn't have to be subject to her own husband and everything, but that this is merely a suggestion, then as she becomes a head over any area... There are now two heads. And now in the eyes of God, it has become a monstrous marriage. There's now schism in the marriage. And a marriage with two heads, or a marriage where the roles have been reversed, flipped upside down, it's divided against itself. And it's not going to stand. It's going to fall. A marriage cannot be healthy when there are two separate lives living under one roof. And so many marriages today have turned into nothing more than the maid and the gardener sharing a dwelling. There's two separate lives being led. There's, there's, there's independence on both sides and it's not compatible with the Word of God. He does His thing, she does her thing, and all they really do is live together. There's only one who can be over all things. 
It's a recipe for failure when you live two separate lives. Because in a marriage, you are now one in the Lord. Just as a church being purchased by the blood of Christ, we are His body, but He's the head. We're one body. It's the same thing with the marriage. Colossians 1.18 says, And He, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Christ receives the preeminence in all things in the church when the church is functioning properly. He has the first in rank is what that means. And he has the first in influence to have the preeminence. It's from a word which means to be foremost in order or to be the chief. Christ is to be the head in all things. And as a result, he's to have the final say in all things. As Christ is preeminent, even so the husband is to be preeminent. As Christ is in all things, so the husband is to be in all things. Remember, the head of the wife is the husband, even as Christ is the head of the church. I have to keep saying that because that's the key if this is going to (laughs) happen. I mentioned last week a wife will have strengths a husband doesn't have. And a wise husband will use those strengths. He'll utilize that in those. He'll use his wife in those areas. But it doesn't mean there ceases to be communication between the two in those areas. A wife may be blessed to be better in finances. Amen. But there's still one final say. That's to be the head, the husband. There's one final authority in everything in a marriage, and God gave that to the husband. Hopefully the two will agree, but if not, the buck has to stop somewhere. When this isn't followed in the church or the marriage, then issues arrive. Arise. What if as a church we decide Christ doesn't have the final say? Well, we'll begin to come up with our own idea of what's right and wrong. And we'll end up going our own way independent of Christ. And in a marriage, when each will come to their own opinions of what is right and wrong, then you'll both end up going your own way independent of each other. Now, as I was preparing for this, and I, and I knew I wanted a shorter message tonight. Here's what's alarming to me. If I was giving a lesson on business, and I said that in order to be effective in your company, then there will need to be one who is at the top making the final decisions, everyone would agree with that. It's not that there isn't input from those who are in subordinate positions in a company. But that when all is said and done, there needs to be one person who makes the final decision in everything. When we look at the secular world, this principle makes perfect sense. When we look at the structure of a military, it makes perfect sense. We understand that there needs to be a chain of command. The, the military mantra is always, we do this for good order and discipline. That's why there's a rank and file, for good order and discipline. We agree that there, there has to be a pecking order of sorts. We agree that there needs to be a structure. For those of you who work in any type of organization, then you've likely seen an organiz- organizational flowchart. And it shows who's at the top. It shows the different departments, perhaps, 
and who's over those departments. It shows who's in subordination in those departments and the structure and all those, and you can break those down. And depending on how large the organization is, it may take a while. I did a simple internet search on how to structure an organization. And every site that I looked at began with there needs to be a leader and not one of them said that everyone gets veto power. I know in the military, we're not going to bring in an E1 and say, okay, you have complete veto power. You don't want to go deployed, we'll, we'll understand that. Nor did any of them say that everyone gets to make a final decision. Every one of those business models, they all start with leadership. Here's a quote from one site. Quote, what is the best organizational structure? It's a top-down flowchart with a high-ranking executive at the top with multiple middle managers, such as the human resources, marketing, accounting, engineering departments, heads, uh, department heads, all are directly reporting to the top executive, end quote. Since all the sites I was quickly looking at started with leadership, I decided to do a search on why organizational structures fail. And it's amazing how the world can identify problems in organizational structure that are really principles found in the Bible. And it's equally amazing that believers will reject these very same principles when it comes to the structure of their home. Let me give you some things I came across and believe me when I say I did not have to dig for these whatsoever. There was an article on smallbusiness.com which cited four poor organizational mistakes. The first sentence in the opening paragraph reads, quote, Defining the organizational structure of any company, which includes the different roles, how they interact, and how things get accomplished, is crucial to success. End quote. Number one was steep hierarchies. This is when the leadership is so far above all those that are in positions below them that they don't interact with their workers and because they're not visiting them on a regular basis, they may send down an order that makes absolutely no sense. Steep hierarchies. We can see this as, a prob as problematic in the home. When the husband begins to think he's too high above the rest of the family and stops interacting with the members of his family, then they're there's this major disconnect which takes place. And he'll expect obedience to a command when he doesn't even really understand what's going on below him. That makes sense? Because if you don't understand what the role of the wife is, what is she doing throughout the day? And you try to have this better-than-thou mentality where you're way up here, it's not going to flow down properly. The, the second thing that this site stated was role confusion. This is what really perked my interest. This is when roles are not clearly defined. It creates contradictions and can paralyze an organization. Here's a quote. Another example of role confusion is when two or more people who have authority over the same group of employees give contradictory orders to the team. Role confusion in the home, this is me now, <laughs> Role confusion in the home is when roles aren't clearly defined for a husband and a wife. And it does create contradiction from God's Word. And it can paralyze a marriage. 
Imagine mom and dad giving instructions to their children and they're contradicting each other. It causes problems. I came across this statement from another site. Quote, roles should be designed to contribute to the goal of the organization. Too often I find roles have been created for an individual. End quote. You see, a marriage will not function properly when we don't see husband-wife roles as being designed to benefit one another when performed as God has structured it. And guys, don't get this idea that she's just placed on this earth to serve your, your every beck and call. The roles are to benefit one another. The third thing they mentioned was procedural issues. I didn't really want to spend a lot of time here because it had to do with over-regulation and the fact that regulations may be outdated, but we know God's Word is never outdated. But there was one interesting line, and that is this, quote, Procedural murkiness can turn a lively, dynamic, and creative company into a crippled, bureaucratic nightmare. <laughs> End quote. A marriage needs to agree with God's procedure on the home. And... If you want to have a lively, dynamic, creative marriage and not have your marriage turn into a nightmare, you have to follow God's procedure. The fourth point was a lack of coherence. Here's what this, this point said. In order for a company to function, the individual parts need to be working toward the same goal, never towards its own objectives. Without singleness of purpose, even a powerhouse company essentially can cancel out its own efforts. We could say in order for a marriage to function properly, the individual husband and wife need to be working toward the same goal. The same objective. The best way to cultivate a marriage is to clearly follow God's word. A husband and wife should never be working towards their own objectives. And husbands, I'll tell you one of the things that will kill a marriage is when you start to use your wife just to get another rung up on your corporate success. We're not to work towards our own objectives. On the website organizationalphysics.com, there was an article entitled, The Five Classic Mistakes in Organizational... <laughs> Can you tell that's a hard word for me to say? <laughs> the Five Classic Mistakes in Organizational Structure... <laughs> Now, I won't go through all of those because it was the opening paragraph that caught my attention. And here's an excerpt. How something is designed controls how it behaves. The fact is, how your organization is designed determines how it performs. If you want to improve organizational performance, you'll need to change the organizational design. And the heart of the organizational design is its structure. And I found that very interesting that the world identifies that. The world says an organization will perform based on how it is designed. If you want better organizational performance, you have to change the design. And the heart of that design is its structure. So how's your marriage? How's your marriage? Do you want a great marriage? then you must align your marriage after God's design. You must structure your home and marriage God's way. It's clear the world believes in professional organizational structure. And we believe in church structure. 
then why is there so much resistance to family structure? When it comes to the home, people get sideways about all of this when we preach what the Bible clearly says. But we believe in all the other structure. Now, I understand that's not what the world's businesses are trying to show us. I say that because it's bad. Listen, please. It's bad when the world's businesses better picture Christ in the church than two believers in the church. That's sad. It's bad when a wife can go into the public workforce and gladly follow the world's business model of structural hierarchy, which is really rooted in biblical principles. But when it comes to being subject to their own husbands and everything, then all of a sudden there's resistance. It's the same principle. But one, we gladly do it, and the other one, we resist. Wives are to be subject to your own husbands in everything. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You say everything? I didn't say it. God did. As I close, I want you to take note of the word as in these verses, because this is critical. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands and everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so you must understand the as if you are going to fulfill these commands. If you are going to have peace about doing it, you're going to have to submit as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Be subject to your own husbands as the church is subject to Christ. And husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you don't understand the as, you're not going to do it. Nobody really wants to be in subjection. Nobody really wants to do these things in their flesh. But if we understand the as, we can get in the spirit of the thing and we can see what really we're being commanded is the example that our Lord already set. This is what He lived. This is what He practiced. That's what it's saying. As the Lord. That's how you need to do it. Amen. Even as Christ is the head of the church, men, you're to be the head. Even as the church is subject unto Christ, so the wife is to be subject to her own husband. Even as Christ loved the church, you're to love your wife. So you have to understand the as, or else you're not going to get it. Well, that's all I have for tonight. Let's pray, and we'll get into the business meeting. Let's pray.